Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. And if we hadn't had a chance to meet, I am Matt. And anytime I come in from Kentucky, I know Florida's a little different than Kentucky, but I'm always looking for common ground. There's always common ground. And one of the things I think we all have in common, whether you know, you're like me from Kentucky or you're in Chipley or you're in Bluntstown or you're here in Mariana, we all know what it's like to not pay our bills and have to change our phone numbers. We all understand that, don't we? So the collection agency can't track us. Is that not why y'all did this? Oh, I am so embarrassed because I'm sorry. In Kentucky, that's normal. We all do that. Anyway, anyway. No, it is, it is great to be here. And, uh, you know, whether, no matter where you're from, and quite honestly, it doesn't matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or, or not a follower of Jesus. There are a lot of things we all have in common. And I think one of the things we have in common that we can all relate to, and if we took the time and didn't mind being vulnerable and embarrassing ourselves, is we all know what it's like to make a mess of things in our lives, don't we? All of us have done that. Now, we Christians, we, we have a word for it. We call it sin. And if you're not a Christian, or even if you are a Christian, you may not like that term because it, it can feel a little harsh, you know? So you may refer to the messes in your life more like mistakes, you know? I just made some mistakes. But at the same time, you know what you've done, at least some of the things you've done, it's more than a mistake, isn't it? A mistake is, you know, you don't add something upright, you know? A mistake is when you accidentally order two of those things from Amazon. That's, that's a mistake. All of us have made mistakes, but the messes in our lives, I mean, the real messes, are the things that, if we were honest, we would admit, okay, I knew it was going to create a mess. I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. I did it anyway. You know, it was an intentional choice, and there is proof that those instances are way more than mistakes. Uh, the proof is this emotion that we all feel whenever we made those decisions. The emotion is guilt. We all know what it's like to feel guilt, don't we? You do not feel guilt when you um, inaccurately uh, do a quadratic equation. You don't feel, aren't you impressed? I think y'all know how to do quadratic equations. <laughs> Clearly not at Mariana. The Chipley crowd, you guys do quadratic equations. Uh, Bluntstown Dustin is Googling quadratic equation right now. He's like, <laughs> just love you, Dustin. Anyway, no, no, I mean, you don't feel guilt when you just make mistakes, do you? You order something on Amazon you didn't mean to order. I mean, you just, you don't feel guilty. You just send it back or and maybe you keep it. But either way, there's no guilt associated with it, is it? Now, when do you feel guilt? When do I feel guilt? We always feel guilt whenever there is a standard that we don't measure up to. Guilt is a result of not measuring up to some standard. You say, well, what standard are you talking about, Matt? Well, there are a couple. Uh, let's just start with your own. You've got a standard, don't you, by which you live your life. I don't know if you ever think of it this way, but you have a certain standard that inside you go, okay, well, this is what a person should always do. This is what a person should never do. I'm always going to be this kind of person. I'm, you know, I'll never go and da-da-da. You, you've got your own standard. You've got your own set of values by which you try to live your life. And yet we can all admit, can't we, that we have had moments where we looked in the mirror and went, oh my gosh, I'm not even living up to my own standards. You know, I'm not even being the person that I think a person ought to be. And whenever we realize we're not measuring up to our standard, it does create a sense of guilt that we all feel. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to carry that around. But, um, and this may sound like terrible news, I think it's actually good news. Hang with me and I'll try to explain that. But there is a standard beyond ours. There's a standard higher than ours. There's a standard that's more objective than ours that we don't measure up to as well. And that's God's standard. I mean, his standard is objective. It is the same for all people in all places 
in all times, which may sound like a terrible thing because you're like, no, 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 I think everybody ought to get to choose their own standard, and I don't want to live up to some standard imposed on me by God. But you don't actually mean that because you don't want to live in a world where everybody gets to make their own rules. That's not a fun world. If everybody gets to decide what's right for themselves, then nothing is actually right, and it's chaos, isn't it? And you know this because you may say you want that to be the case until somebody else has a standard you don't agree with, and they make a decision you don't like, and then you're very quick to go, that's wrong. We all do that, right? Uh, what we actually want is to live in a world where everybody does what we think is right. That's the kind of world we want to live in, but we don't have that kind of power. But there is a standard that is universal, that is objective, that it's all people, all places, all times. And when you realize, okay, not only am I not meeting up to my standard, but now I'm not meeting up to God's standard he has for me, oh my gosh, gosh, you know what that creates? That just creates more guilt. And this is, maybe this will connect some dots for you. I think this is why so many of us have a tendency to keep God at arm's length. Or maybe you grew up in or around church or in or around Christians that this was stressed. It was like, oh, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, and you just felt so much guilt over that that you eventually walked away or you disconnected, you know, you show up at church, you know, but it's just a, a box you check. You don't really want to get too engaged with it because, and you may have never put this together, but from your point of view, you're like, I don't need any more guilt in my life. I already know I don't measure up enough. I don't need to be reminded of it anymore. I don't need to feel like, you know, I'm even worse than I know that I am. I think there's something like that in all of us. But the good news is this. The good news is that is not actually the point of Christianity, and that is not the reason Jesus came. Contrary to what all of you who grew up like me in Southern Baptist churches came to believe, you know? I grew, I grew, my dad and grandfather were Southern Baptists, so I feel like I can pick on us. But it felt like, you know, when you went to a Southern Baptist church and you left, they said, how was church today? The answer was, it was amazing I just felt terrible when I walked out, you know? That's kind of the measurement. It's like the worse you felt, the more guilty you felt. Oh, church really worked today, you know? But that, that was not actually the reason that Jesus came. So uh, today we're starting this brand new series called Questions. And I'm really excited about this for a couple reasons. One, because I'm going to do the first couple weeks, and then the series is going to get way better when Paul comes back the third week, okay? So you'll end on a high note. That's something to look forward to. But I'm also excited about this uh, series because I think it's important for all of us to understand that it really is okay for us to ask questions. It is. It's okay to ask questions about God. It's okay to ask questions about faith. It's okay to ask questions about Scripture. And yet for many of us, we grew up in environments where it was not encouraged. As a matter of fact, it was discouraged. We grew up in environments where if you ask a question, the response was, well, you just don't have enough faith. You know, you just need to believe more. Well, I don't know what your problem is. You, you just got to accept that and move on. And I'm just telling you, if you don't get anything else out of this series, I hope you get this. Here's the thing. If you hold a faith that is so weak that it cannot withstand the questions that you or other people have, you have an extremely fragile faith. And I'm just going to predict what happens, okay? What's eventually going to happen is that faith you hold will not be able to stand up to the pressures of, to the rigors of life, and it will crumble. Fortunately, when Jesus was on this earth, he didn't look at people and say, okay, here's what you ought to believe. Don't ask any questions. Just have faith, you know? That was not him. He invited people's questions. He was not offended by them. He welcomed the questions of people. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to ask some of these questions that I think are common to all of us. And some of you, you may be wondering them now. Some of you, you may have had to wrestle through this in the past. For some of you, it may be something that hits in the future. 
But these are some questions that I think are just common, and yet so many of us feel like we don't have the freedom to ask them. So I've got the microphone in the next 22 minutes. I thought I'd ask for you, all right? So here we go. Here's the first question. It's simple. Will God forgive me? Will God forgive me? Somebody is sitting there going, honey, this is awesome. I already know the answer. It's yes. We can leave and head to the lake. It's easy. You know, it's like, of course, you're in church. Of course, God's going to forgive you. I, I get that. But hang with me for just a minute because there's, there's a big difference between intellectually knowing the answer to this question. Well, yeah, people have always told me God will forgive me. And actually living in such a way that this feels real and personal and true to you. And the reason I think this question is so hard for us to live from is because if we're honest, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, don't we? And so if you have a hard time forgiving yourself, then it only makes sense that you would begin to wonder, well, I know, you know, God says he forgives everybody, but if I can't forgive me, I wonder if I've done some things. I wonder if I've crossed some lines. I wonder if I've got some stuff in my story, in my past, that God doesn't really fully want to forgive me for either. And so this question is so important because forgiveness is actually the antidote to the guilt that so many of us tend to carry. So what I want to do today is I just want to explain in as simple a terms as I can what Jesus has done to definitively answer this question of no matter what your story is, no matter who you are, no matter what you've got in your past, does God forgive you? And to do that, I want to take you to something that the Apostle Paul wrote and the reason I think this is so powerful is because if you know much about Paul's story, you know that, you know, he had quite a past himself. I mean, Paul was a religious leader who was based out of Jerusalem, who when Christianity began to gain traction and followers of Jesus, you know, began to grow and spread, this message of the resurrection began to spread, Paul made it his point to put an end to it. And Paul was, and this is not an exaggeration, the best term you could use to describe Paul at that point is he was a religious terrorist. I mean, Paul decided this is a threat to Judaism. This is a threat to all of us religious leaders. This is a threat to the Jewish people and the Jewish way of life. We're putting an end to this. And so think about it. Paul went in and he ripped mothers and fathers away from their kids. He ripped husbands away from wives. He ripped sons and daughters away from their parents. And he imprisoned them. He interrogated them. He inflicted intense suffering and pain. And in some cases, he killed them all for the single purpose of putting an end to this movement that had been sparked after the resurrection of Jesus. And so I bring that up because if you were sitting down with Paul and you were having a conversation and you told the apostle Paul, oh, I know, I know what you think, but listen, let me tell you all the stuff, you know, let me tell you all the stuff in my past and what I did and I'm so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed of. And when you got done with all of that, Paul would have a grin on his face and he would say, okay, okay, that was nice, but now I want you to hold my... Coke or whatever Paul drank, okay? I don't know. And Paul would unpack his resume for you. And it would make your life look like nothing. As a matter of fact, Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. He understood his history and he understood the pain he had inflicted. And he understood the shame that he should feel for everything he had done. And yet, when the apostle Paul finally met Jesus, this is what just revolutionized his entire life, turned his world upside down. When the apostle Paul eventually met Jesus, he was not met with what he expected to find. He was not met with guilt. When he met the resurrected Jesus, he was met with grace. And so the apostle Paul spent the rest of his life 
In all of these letters he wrote that are now part of our New Testament, he spent the rest of his life just trying to help everybody he could understand this extraordinary, extraordinary grace. So I want to read you a little bit of what he wrote in a letter that he wrote to Christians in the city of Rome. But the thing you need to understand in terms of context before we read this, uh, one, it, it can sound a little bit complicated, but if you walk out of here with questions or if you're confused, that's my fault, not yours, okay? So I'll do my best to explain it. But the thing I want you to understand context-wise is Paul actually begins with the idea of awareness, and then he moves to the idea of forgiveness. And I think you'll see why as we go through it. So we're just going to jump right in. In Romans chapter 3, here's what he wrote. He said, therefore no one, so it means none of us are exceptions, okay? Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Now, when he talks about the law, I'm about to lose my mic again. Kenny, we were trying to get this on, and Kenny told me I had elf ears. That was not nice, was it? <laughs> oh, it was not nice. I'll get over it. I'm talking about forgiveness, so I had to forgive him. It was terrible. Next week, I'll hold a grudge. Anyway, so he says, so he says, no one's going to be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Now, everybody that Paul was writing to knew what he was talking about because the Apostle Paul's referring to the law of Moses or the Jewish law, which is what they had lived by forever, all right? So th this had been something that for centuries and centuries, it's in their Jewish scriptures and our Old Testament. I mean, there were 613 different commands. But the thing you need to understand is the Jewish people... <laughs> had spent years and years and years trying to live up to this law because they thought that's how they were going to be good with God. If I can just live up to the law, if I can just follow this well enough, then everything will be good between me and God. If I just follow this well enough, then God will accept me. And so this is, and this is hard for us to understand, but this was brand new information for them. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, who had been a Pharisee and had been the protector and keeper of this law, is now telling them, oh, guys, no, none of us are actually going to be good with God by following the law because none of us are any good at following the law, are we? And they're like, no, no, but they had no idea there was another way, okay? He's about to tell them. He says, rather, because they're wondering, well, what's the point of the law then? He says, rather, through the law, we become conscious or aware of sin. So the Apostle Paul just wanted them to know, hey, the reason God gave us the law was not so we could, you know, be perfect and live up to it and earn his favor. He knew that wasn't going to work. He gave us the law to make us aware that there was a standard and we all fell short of it. Now, that may sound like bad news, but it's actually really good for a couple reasons. There are a couple benefits to awareness, and you understand this. One is, when you're aware, it helps you to recognize danger that is coming. So, the Apostle Paul is going, okay, he gave us the law, so when we began to fall short of the law, we would realize, wait, we're living our lives in such a way, we're making choices in such a way, it's moving us down a road where we're going to end up in danger, and we don't realize it now, but we're going to realize it later. It's, it's similar to, this is why you feel guilt. Good guilt is the kind of guilt that causes you to go, uh-oh, I'm getting off track, danger's ahead, I better turn around and go a different direction. It's very similar to uh, the check engine light on the dashboard of your car. What is your first reaction whenever your check engine light comes on? Oh, that's your first reaction. Nobody sees the check engine light and says, wonderful, I know something's wrong. This is awesome. You know, it's like, no, you just, it's like, oh, more money, more money, more money, you know? But if you didn't have a check engine light, what would happen? Well, you'd still have a problem. You'd just have a problem in a far more inconvenient and possibly far more dangerous way. So a check engine light's actually a good thing. The awareness helps you avoid the danger. And this is Paul's point, the law. It can create some good guilt, but it's really good guilt because it makes us aware of danger. The other thing awareness does is it helps us appreciate forgiveness. 
think about it. If, if you didn't know there was a standard that you weren't meeting up to, then there would be no need nor appreciation of any forgiveness offered to you, would there? You'd be like, I don't need that. So the Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand, okay, I want you to be aware you, don't fall, you fall way short of the standard. You don't meet the law. But I want you to be aware of that, not so you'll just wallow in guilt and you'll feel terrible and, oh, no, woe is me, I'm such an awful person. No, no. He says, I want you to be aware so you can then appreciate and experience what Jesus has done for you. And that's what he heads into next. He says, but now, there's good news, but now a righteousness, real quick, because that's a, a church word. Righteousness just means a right standing with God. That's it. You know what it's like when everything's good between you and somebody, where there's, you know, deep trust between you and somebody, there's implicit trust, and you know they've got your best interest at heart, and you know, you know it's both ways, it's, everything's good. This is what he's referring to. He said, okay, but now a right standing with God, where you know everything's good between you and God, you can trust him completely, and you know, he, you know he's got his best, your best interest at heart. He says, this is possible for you to experience even though you don't meet the law. But where it comes from is what was brand new to everybody. He says, but now a righteousness from God. See, we all think intuitively it's got to come from us. Like I'm, I, if I live good enough and I do enough good things, you know, I'm religious enough or whatever your standard is, everybody makes up their own. If I do enough of this, then everything's going to be good between me and God. And Paul's going, you should give up on that because you're never going to be good enough to be good with God. To be good enough, you got to be perfect. Jesus said, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Well, thank you for setting a standard we can't meet. And Jesus goes, that is the whole point. I just want you all to realize, you know, you're all on level ground. But a right standing with God, the apostle Paul says, comes from God. And then he goes on to reiterate this to them. He says, it's apart from law. So it's apart from any good you do. And it's been made known, he tells them, to which the law and the prophets testify. So he's like, in your Jewish scriptures, the prophets told us that God was going to do something like this. And then he continues, he says, this righteousness, there's our words again, from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, anytime you see the word faith or you see the word believe in the New Testament, you should automatically think trust. Uh, the Apostle Paul is not referring to intellectual belief. You know, I believe in, I believe in, I believe in the sun, you know, sun's going to rise and set. You know, okay, that's fine. No, he's talking about trust. He's talking about the kind of belief that actually moves you to live your life differently because you are convinced that it's true. So he's going, okay, it is possible for you to have a right standing with God. And it's not because of anything you do that's good. It actually comes from God. You can experience forgiveness. You don't have to earn it. It's given to you freely from God. All you have to do is put your trust in what Jesus has done for you, to which we all again go, okay, Paul, I hear you're saying all people get this, but come on. It's got to be different for different people based on what they've done. If you knew what I'd done and if you understood, you know, my story and, you know, whatever, whatever. And the Apostle Paul apparently knew that was going to be a pushback for the people he was writing to as well. Because he turns around and he says something that uh, may be familiar to a lot of you. Uh, it may be something that you grew up in church, you grew up around church, around Christians, you heard a lot. He says this, he says, there is no difference. There's no difference between those of us who think we're good enough to be good with God and those of us who know that we're not. There is no difference. And here's the part that's so familiar, right? For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory or the standard of God. Now in my Southern Baptist church growing up, we heard this verse at least once a week. Mom told me this at least once a week. That's probably for a different reason, but we won't get into that. It was, this was something that was stressed, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you. It took me years to realize 
that there was not an exclamation point at the end of this statement because all they ever quoted when I was growing up was this part of it. It was like, you've sinned and you've fallen short. Yes, I'm aware. Well, let me tell you again, you know, it was an exclamation point. And I'll never forget the day I realized, oh my gosh, there is a comma at the end of that, which means, you know this, which means the Apostle Paul's thought wasn't done. That wasn't the actual point of why he wrote this. The actual point of why he wrote this was not to remind us that we'd fallen short of the standard because he'd already talked about that and he knew we all understood that. The actual point of why he wrote this was what he said next. He says, and, and all of us are justified freely by God's grace. What is his grace? It's unearned, undeserved, unconditional love and favor of God. We're all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So what Paul actually wanted us to focus on was the fact that Jesus had done something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. You see, when you don't meet a standard, and you'll understand this, when you don't meet a standard, when you fall short of someone's expectations, when you hurt someone or offend someone, it creates a debt-debtor relationship between you and that person. And you get that because whenever you've hurt somebody in your life deeply, you and I, we use debt-debtor terminology when we talk about it. We say, I owe them an apology. There's a debt there. I owe them. I, I need to pay them, pay back what I've done. I need to make up for what I've messed up. I and mean, we use this debt-debtor terminology all the time. And this was the Apostle Paul's point. He's going, no, no, no. The focus of this is not you have sinned and fallen short of the standard. You, we're all aware of that now. <laughs> the good news is that Jesus has done something about it, that there was a debt that was created when you fell short of God's standard. It is a debt that you can't repay because, again, Jesus said, you got to be perfect like I'm perfect. Okay, well, if I've been less perfect, I can't be more perfect to make up for being less perfect and end up perfect. It doesn't work that way, does it? Once you've blown perfect, you've blown perfect forever. So he's going, there's a debt you can't pay on your own. But when Jesus showed up on this earth and he died and rose again, he paid the penalty for all of our sins. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. And in essence, what Jesus did, and this is Paul's point, Jesus said, hey, I'll do what you couldn't do. I'll be perfect. And then I'll make you a trade. I'll pay the debt you couldn't pay. I'll hand you my perfection. I'll take on your debt. And I'll take care of your sin. That is what the Apostle Paul is referring to. And that's why he's saying, okay, here's what you got to understand. Here's what you got to know. Your debt's been covered. It's okay that you fell short. Because someone did not fall short. On your behalf, your debt's been covered. It's been paid. You are justified freely, and all you have to do is trust. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is accept the gift. So let's circle all the way back to our question, okay? The question of, will God forgive me? Well, you know intellectually the answer to that is yes. But let's talk practically. Because if you're sitting there and you're thinking, yes, but, I've done so much more than, yes, but, I'm just so ashamed of. Yes, but I don't see how God could. Yes, but what if in the future I? Maybe God won't forgive me then. There's got to be a line. There's got to be a point. There's got to be a, a, a place where you tip the scales and God's like, all right, now listen, I'm just not going to keep offering you forgiveness. If that's you, then I want you to think about something for just a minute. When Jesus, here's a question for you. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins, now he 
paid for them all on the cross. How many of your sins that he paid for on the cross had you committed when he died on the cross? It's not a trick question, Marianna. The answer is none, okay? Because you weren't alive. Okay, work with me. We are definitely not a quadratic equation crowd. That's okay. It's okay. We're not in Kentucky either. I'm just making it up. So anyway, no. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, you had committed none of your sins because you weren't even alive yet, which means all of your sins were in the future, which means Jesus knew every sin that you were going to commit in the future, including the sins you have yet to commit, but you may get on it on your way home from church today, okay? He knew about all of them. And he thought you were worth enough that he was willing to pay the price, to pay the debt for all of your sins. All of them. He died for every sin, including the ones you have yet to commit. Now, let me tell you why I think it's so important for you to understand that. First of all, because if you ever struggle with being confident that God is with you, that he's for you, that he loves you unconditionally, if you've ever struggled, it's like, okay, I know, like there's a general idea of God loves me and forgives me, but I can't believe after what I've done that he's got to, you know. If you've ever struggled with all of that, insecurity of where do I stand with God, you don't have to struggle anymore. You don't have to wonder anymore because some of your sins may be a surprise to you, but they are not a surprise to God. When Jesus died, he knew about all of them and he still thought you were worth dying for. That tells you where you stand with him. Second reason this matters is because if that's how much Jesus cares about you and is willing to forgive you, then that means you can forgive yourself. And some of us, we have a really, really hard time forgiving ourselves. As a matter of fact, if you struggle with that, you gotta be here for week three. Week two is me, it may not be very good. Week three is Paul, and he's gonna actually dive into this question. I'm telling you, you don't wanna miss that. But I'll just give you a little something to chew on between now and then, okay? If you have a hard time forgiving yourself for something you've done, let me tell you what that means. You've never thought of it this way, and this sounds a little harsh, but hang with me. It means you believe you have a higher standard for yourself than your heavenly father has for you. Because if he's willing to forgive you, what right do you have not to forgive yourself? Do you really think your standard for yourself is higher than his standard? So if he can forgive you, you ought to forgive yourself. And the third thing this means for all of us is if we have been forgiven this deeply by our heavenly father, well then no matter what somebody does to us, we should offer forgiveness even if it seems irrational, we should offer forgiveness because we have been the recipients, have we not, of irrational forgiveness from Jesus. So, here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, but this is still difficult for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself doubting where you stand with God, you find yourself doubting if he really will forgive you for something you've done. I mean, you knew better, right? You knew better and you did it anyway. You knew better and you blew up your family. You knew better and you hurt them deeply. You knew better and you broke their trust. Listen, what if today you just decided, I'm gonna believe what Jesus says is true. 
He says he's forgiven me for everything. I'm going to believe it. That doesn't mean you don't try to make things right with the people you've hurt. As a matter of fact, that should motivate you to make things right with the people you've hurt. But you don't have to wonder where you stand with God. It's taken care of. What if you just lived as if that was true? Can you imagine how much more confidence and security you would have in life if you knew nothing you had done had shaken your relationship with your Heavenly Father? And for those of you who've never experienced his forgiveness, what if you accepted it? See, that's the extraordinary thing about a gift. That's why Paul said we're all justified freely. Because when it comes to a gift, you don't earn a gift. I mean, somebody tries to give you a gift, you're not like, well, hang on, wait a minute, let me see if I can do enough to feel like I'm I'm worth that. No, no, no. What do you do when somebody offers you a gift? You just reach out and you take it. And Jesus is offering you a gift of forgiveness. (laughs) A gift that... (laughs) All you have to do is reach out and take it. Why would you not do that? So as we close, I want to lead us in a prayer. And I want to invite those of you who have struggled with this, just to be honest enough with God to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm actually going to believe what you say about me is true. I'm just going to begin to live confident that I'm forgiven by you. And if you've never experienced his forgiveness, what if you tell him, hey, I want it. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to follow you as best I can. Let's pray. Father, this is one of those things that most of us, we've heard. It's easy to know it intellectually. It's far more difficult for us to hold on to it and experience it personally. But that's what you're inviting us to do. So would you help us? Would you help us to have enough trust and confidence in you and what you say? to live with the assurance and the security that we're forgiven by you, that we're loved by you, that we don't have to wonder or doubt. And for those who are just accepting your forgiveness for the first time today, we are so grateful. We're so excited for them. We know it really does change everything. So thanks for making your forgiveness free to all of us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you all so much for being here. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.